find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, and brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 20, brought to you by Lifetree at PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. My name is Rick. I'm the author of the just-released book, Spiritual Grit, and a couple years ago, the book, Jesus-Centered Life, and editor of the Jesus-Centered Bible. And I'm here today with our friend, Steph Hilbury. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Well, I'm welcoming myself back, I guess. Welcome no, w- back, w- listeners, w- as way to, well. Way to welcome yourself, which is, a, <laughs> which is a clear indicator that Steph and I are both a little tired right now. We sure are. I bet you won't know that from listening to this podcast, but right before we started recording... We were laughing really hard because here's something you guys would not know. We we are looking through a window at Adam and Rachel uh, every time we record this podcast, and what Adam and or Rachel does to kind of indicate they're starting the recording is they count us down from three fingers to one finger. And I just realized only today, after three, almost three years of doing this podcast, that that whole thing they do is a total fake. <laughs> That they've already been recording for a while, <laughs> and the only reason they count down their fingers, perhaps, is to make it feel like, ooh, we're, do- we're now recording, that that's a thing. But actually, it was just a, a facade, mm-hmm. and I've been fooled the- this entire time, so that-, that makes me laugh somehow today. So, so today, we are going to be focusing on the last of our four-part series— that is kind of exploring or mining the themes in Spiritual Grit, uh, the book that I just mentioned that just came out a a few weeks ago. And uh, there are more than four themes in the book, but we chose these four uh, for the podcast because, well, why did we choose these four? We felt like it. We wanted you to get a taste of the kinds of questions you'd be asking yourself, kind of exploring the process of becoming grittier. Yeah. And so this podcast today, this episode, is going to be focusing on the chapter in the book that's called Following Why Not Into into Freedom. And uh, we're going to be exploring some things that aren't really in the book and extending some of those things into our own life. It's going to be a a really a a fun one. So spiritual grit, just to kind of give you a quick kind of uh, level set here, the, the book is about the grit that we need to persevere in life, and spiritual grit is gaining the strength that we need to do that from Jesus, not just from our own shallow bucket. So what does it mean to be in a a growing, intimate relationship with Jesus where we get access to the strength that he has? And secondarily, what is it he's asking us to do in our life so that we are gaining in core strength through our everyday life uh, in the same way that he helped uh, every person he ever met to gain in their core strength? So the most of the book is really focusing on six different ways that when Jesus interacted with people that he purposefully, intentionally was trying to help them grow in their, their, in their grit. So each chapter starts with a, an, a story about Jesus, and it extracts what he's doing there, and then kind of paints a picture of what this could look like in our life. So strength really is the byproduct of our intimacy with Jesus. We get what he has, and then... We live that out in various ways in our life so that we are constantly, in an everyday way, growing in our strength. So, as I mentioned, Steph's you know, here, she's in, uh, back in the 
back in the saddle, the Barca lounger, the merry-go-round, pick your metaphor. We, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, Steph is on the podcast in also sort of a surgical way because we try to pick the ones that are really kind of in her wheelhouse, and today is one of those. So here you are sitting in this chair recording mm-hmm. a podcast with me, Steph, and I know from your story that like this is not a direct line from from where you were like when you were a college student mm-hmm. to here doing marketing, writing as a as an author and recording podcasts. So I'd like to start by just having you look back a little bit sure. to the decisions and the accidents and the river flows that kind of led you from point A to point C. How did that actually happen? What what are what's some of the map of your journey? Well, I definitely connect to the question of asking why not, because I think there have been real pivotal moments in my life where I've kind of found myself using that question to help me make a decision that ended up being a fork in the road. So I have a couple examples. Um, I ended up taking a break from college, not once, but twice. And then I got married while in college. So each of those times, I definitely sort of came up against an unconventional decision and asked the question, why not? One time I left school and went to inner city Philadelphia for a year. One time I left school and did a fellowship in Washington, D.C. for a semester. And why not? Certainly nobody at that time was really doing gap years in a, you know, formal kind of way. That phrase wasn't even around. And it was unusual to not go all straight through college. But I just had these experiences come up, opportunities, and I said yes to them. Another thing that I did a little bit later in my 20s was, and I'm not, this is not a recommendation. I feel like I need like an FDA disclaimer. (laughs) The the statements that are about to be made are not recommended. Do not try this at home. Do not try this at home. But I I quit my full-time salary job with no plan. None whatsoever, really, except kind of this whimsical idea that I was going to maybe finally start writing in more earnest. And um, there were bumps. Mistakes were made. But that was definitely another time where I, I found myself constantly coming up against this sort of brick wall of decision where I felt like I, I'm stuck. I can't, I, I can't make any changes. I can't get out of this situation. And finally, I just got to the point where I th- where I realized, why, why couldn't I just stop? Why couldn't I just leave? Hmm. And so I did. Hmm. Um, and it was an adventure. It was a grit-developing experience for me. And you've used, you've used this question that we're raising, why not, hmm. several times here. And, and just to pause here for a second, that why not is, a, is what I call a diagnostic question. It simply means that you pause long enough to ask yourself the question, what like you just said mm-hmm. why can't i do that it doesn't mean that immediately oh i should do that why not means what's keeping me from this mm-hmm. what what's the factor that has made me stop or not take advantage of this opportunity or not make this choice or not choose to go in this direction or not test myself in this area of strength what is keeping me from that so why not is kind of a question that sort of drags things from the darkness into the light. The way, the way I was thinking about it before the podcast is that if you think about the uh, C.S. Lewis's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia, the whole saga starts, obviously, with these four English children in this mansion in the countryside during World War II, and they're playing a game, and, and Lucy runs into a wardrobe in one of the rooms to hide, and she discovers as she's in there 
that she starts to smell something like fresh air behind the coats and starts to smell something that doesn't smell like a wardrobe. And eventually she pushes past the coats and everything, and there's a, a door at the back of the wardrobe that goes into a, a fantastical land called Narnia. And it's why not is the sort of question that says, why can't I open that door and walk into this new world? Why can't I do that? And if we don't ask that question, we might just run out of the wardrobe. <laughs> it's like, there's something weird in there, I'm not going to go there. But why not says, why can't I? And so that's, that's true for all of us. It's, and it's more than a question, really. It's a, it's a way of leaning into life, that why not becomes sort of a habit pattern in our life that we're always asking when we come up against something that we're resistant to, well, why not? So in uh, Spiritual Grit, I tell this little story of that to me kind of capsulizes this for, uh, for how this works in my life. So last summer we were on vacation in the mountains, and my wife uh, has a—she's a dancer in her past, and she's very good at it, and I'm very poor at it. I'm better now than I used to be, but my narrative for myself is I'm a terrible dancer. And it, it's accentuated whenever I dance with Bev because she is so good— and she knows she's good. <laughs> and she's also danced with really good dancers before, so then that's also intimidating mm-hmm. for me. And so we were on vacation, and I saw this flyer that said that there's these free country western dance lessons happening uh, just like a 30-second walk from where we were staying in this little community center. And I thought, oh, no, I hope Bev doesn't see this flyer <laughs> because I don't want to go to country western dance lessons. <laughs> And uh, sure enough, she asked at just that moment, what are you reading, Rick? And so I had to give her this stupid flyer, and she read it and immediately just got it all excited and was trying to convince our girls, let's go, you know, it's, it's starting in a half an hour, let's go do this, this will be fun. I'm like, no, I'm not going, I'm on vacation, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Rick, I feel like at least half of our audience would relate to you right oh, now. Oh my gosh, and, and I thought, I'm on vacation, I don't want to do something that's like brain damage to me, but because I'm used to living with this question embedded in me, why not? I asked myself the question, why don't I want to go country western dancing right now? And really, it wasn't because I was going to make such a fool of myself that it would be embarrassing to everybody. The truth was, I I lacked the courage to go do a hard thing that would really make my wife happy. That That's what it came down to. And because I asked the diagnostic question, why not, what it did was it surfaced the real issue in me, which is, I don't want to have the courage to go do this. When it got dragged into light like that, then I could say, okay, I can choose whether to have courage or not in this situation, and so I'm going to choose to have courage. And so I went, and actually it turned out like way worse than I expected because <laughs> because we we showed up and you think okay I'm going to dance with my wife and learn country western dancing and my two daughters will dance with each other but actually the room was full of extremely elderly people who had a lot of time on their hands so they were coming for these dance lessons and the instructor would make you change partners every 5 minutes so I was dancing with women that were you know dancing to Frank Sinatra when actually mm. He was alive and singing. They didn't just read about the war in history books. <laughs> they were alive during World War II. So I was dancing with all these people. Every five minutes, I had to change partners. It was just so awkward. But you know what? There's something that happens when we respond to why not, and then we move 
under the direction of what we've discovered about ourselves, we move in that direction, it makes us uh, less living by default and more living intentionally. So why not, in the end, drags the things that are in the darkness in us into the light? So you told me before, Steph, that you're sort of a what person, like like you're a doer, and your husband's more of a why person. Why don't you uh, talk to me a little bit about the kind of the difference between the two of you? So... We always are having conversations, and he he's full of wonder. He's he's I could just picture him as a four year old driving his mother absolutely crazy because he's constantly asking the question, "Well, why? Why is it like that?" And to this day, as an adult, he's always asking why, wanting to understand human nature, wanting to understand the nature of why things work the way that they do. And I confess, I just have so little patience for this kind of wondering. I am way more inclined to care less about why things are the way they are and focus a lot more on what do I need to do about it right now. And so we sort of have conflict sometimes because he's forever kind of musing over why. And I'm always like, enough with the why. (laughs) We need to do something right now. What can we do? I love that story. What you're saying is I don't want to just mull things over, chew on them over and over again. Let's try something. But asking why not is a little different than simply asking why. Why means it it could go on forever. Uh, And it's actually a great question to get to know Jesus more intimately. Mm -hmm. Um, In Spiritual Grid and in other places, I've talked about how why is the central question that we need to ask when we're pursuing Jesus. Why did he do that? So your husband would, you know, that engine, you know, attached to pursuing Jesus would would delve into his depths. But why not is a different kind of question. It's it's not just asking why, it's it's trying to help us consider what's holding us back from something in a more honest way. It's trying to surface it in a more honest... And I have a story that kind of opens this chapter in Spiritual Grid. I thought it would be good to, to read this little story. This is a story about a U.S. Naval Academy officer and his story of how he changed his leadership style. So this is what opens the chapter called Following Why Not Into Freedom. Let me just read this real quick. So in 1981, David Marquette graduated at the top of his U.S. Naval Academy class. He left the academy and joined the submarine force, pursuing a dream he'd had since he was a boy to captain a ship in the Navy. And at the academy, he'd wrestled with the conventional leader-follower model of military leadership— a path that essentially confines creative strategic thinking to the commanding officer, while subordinates are simply expected to follow orders. As a mid-level engineering officer on the nuclear-powered submarine USS Will Rogers, Marquette asked for and got permission from his commanding officer to experiment with a more empowering style of leadership he called intent-based. So he gave broad guidance to the sailors under his command, but let them figure out specific strategies for themselves. Well, his first experiments were disastrous, and he was forced to re-embrace the old leader-follower model. So Marquette was soon promoted to captain of the USS Olympia, which is a nuclear-powered attack submarine. And after a year preparing to assume command of the ship, he was abruptly rerouted to the USS Santa Fe after its captain unexpectedly retired. So at the time, the, the crew of the Santa Fe had a reputation as the worst performing crew in the fleet. Morale was terrible, and performance was even worse. And early on, Marquette's unfamiliarity with the sub led him to issue an order that was impossible for his men to follow. But his officers relayed the order down the chain of command anyway. 
When he discovered what had happened, Marquette decided it was time to experiment with intent-based leadership again. He began treating all crew members he determined were technically competent as leaders who could figure out the best way forward as long as they knew Marquette's broad but clear intentions. The atmosphere among crew members changed immediately and dramatically. Eventually, the Santa Fe earned the highest evaluation marks ever recorded in the Navy, and more of its crew were promoted to officer positions than any other sub in the fleet. So in the book, I, I kind of pick apart the story to examine how Marquette found his pathway into freedom, the freedom of a new style of empowering leadership by simply asking why not about one of the most basic things of military life, the leader-follower chain of command kind of uh, default setting that every military leader is drilled into. He couldn't stop asking why not about this because he saw the results on the ground. And so even though he had failed the first time at this, he continued to ask the question, and eventually that led into an entirely new way of leading in the military. It wasn't just on his sub that that this intent-based leadership model spread to. It spread throughout the military. So that's a, a an example of what I mean by that why not as a diagnostic question. It surfaces the issue so that you can move forward. We're not, by the way, talking about like kind of why not that you know, maybe we read about in the paper, like Michelle Wolf, the comedian who was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, who was so controversial in her act, she she asked why not mm-hmm. and pushed cultural boundaries that were offensive to a lot of people. So, and you could say the same thing about, you know, people have said the same thing about Kanye West. He, he just pushes boundaries and almost out of rebellion. Like, where is the boundary? Let me see if I can break it. Let me see how offensive I can go to see what happens then. That's a different kind of boundary thing than than we're talking about. It's really more, we're talking about our interior boundaries instead of the sort of the cultural boundary. I don't know if, is there anything else that you could uh, uh, try to uh, explain, Steph, between the difference between the kind of why your husband asks and the kind of why not that we're asking? Is there, maybe there's something else that you could uh, throw in there that would help uh, kind of accentuate that? Well, I think that the why not that we're talking about is uh, a conversation that we invite the Holy Spirit into that helps us to determine maybe some things that are keeping us stuck where yeah. we are. And, you know, my my husband asks why, I think, as a way of exploring a kind of unknown territory. And that's that's valuable, but it has a different function. The why not that, that spiritual grit really dives into's purpose is for us to have an opportunity to kind of examine some things that are holding us back. That's good. So one thing is we all we all come from families, and every family is a system. I mean, it's a system of relationships. And those parts work together to create sort of a stability in that family system. Uh, and all families are dysfunctional in one way or another. So whatever system's been created, the, the system wants to perpetuate itself because that's what works to keep it going. But it doesn't mean that the system the way it is, is is very functional. There's always in every family kind of a dysfunctional orbit that that family has. But the system itself resists change. It wants to stay the same, whatever it is. So all of us come from these systems, and you know, like my wife and I are both sort of, I'd say, uh, the black sheep in our family. And so if that's your role, wow, it's it's tough to go to family gatherings because... 
at a family gathering and you're the black sheep, you're constantly feeling the tension of pushing against the system. And you're being sometimes punished for, for pushing the system. So all of us come from family systems, and why not is a dangerous question in any family system, because it's questioning the current orbital pattern that you're in and questioning whether there might be a more healthy way to live. So I'm wondering with you, Steph, when you think about your own family mm-hmm. system, how has why not impacted you and how you live your life either embracing aspects of your family system or moving outside of them? How's why not been a, a well, there force? Well, there's one thing that I thought of specifically with this question, and it's, I think, highlighted to me by my husband, who's an outsider. A lot of times you'll find illuminating insights into your why nots from somebody who's maybe not in your your typical um, family scenario. And that for my family is communication, specifically about details. We tend to be very passive when it comes to coordinating things and logistics and communicating with each other. And over the last couple of years, I have found myself being challenged to quit flowing in that same mold and have been challenged to step out of that, which is uncomfortable. Why not is an uncomfortable question. But I think that it's helped me to practice better communication Um, better organization. And it's been a little, to your point, some of my family members, because it's so different, have kind of uh, bristled up against that. Mm -hmm. But it has been a good experience of growth and will continue to be, I'm sure. Well, you know, if we think about the families we come from and the systems we come out of, they can seem sometimes so frustrating because they're like embedded ruts in us that we just can't get out of. They, they can seem like a brick wall. Growth seems like a brick wall sometimes. But spiritual grit compels us to confront these brick walls by recognizing that every brick wall has two ends to it and that we can walk around those walls. We, they don't have to stop us. So I'm just reminded of when Jesus was talking to the Pharisee Nicodemus, and, and he was trying to help Nicodemus understand that everyone, including him, would have to be born over again. And Nicodemus just couldn't understand that. What are you talking about, Jesus? I can't go back into my mother's womb. But Jesus was saying something very profound here. He was saying um, being born over again means not being locked into the family system that we grew up in, whatever dysfunctional aspects of that orbit there are. Being born over again means being born into the kingdom of God, where the orbit is healthy, (laughs) The orbit is life-giving. The orbit, it reflects the love that the Trinity has for each other. So the, the question here is, well, what, what are the things that I just assume about my life? Or what, is, what does it look like to step out of the parameters that I think are uh, necessary defaults? Why not, says, why can't I step outside of the things that are frustrating and damaging and destructive in my life? Let's, uh, let's transition into the story that opens this chapter. Uh, as I mentioned, every chapter in Spiritual Grit starts with an encounter Jesus had with someone that kind of highlights this aspect of growing spiritual grit. So this is the story in Matthew 14. If you want to turn there and you're not driving, uh, you can turn to Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. This is the story of Jesus walking on water. Here's how it goes. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and crossed to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up to the hills, into the hills by himself to pray. Well, night fell while he was there alone. 
Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Well, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. So there's the story that starts this chapter. And when we think about what's going on in this story, why does Jesus do what he does? And what do you think is going on in Peter's heart and mind when this is happening? This is one of my favorite stories, I think, in the New Testament. I love Peter's heart in this, that he just throws himself overboard. But I love that I love this illustration of having sort of a fixed belief about something, which, you know, is legitimate. Walking mm-hmm. on water, generally not... Generally some, doesn't happen, yeah. Not something you think of yeah. as an option. It might be called impossible. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so I I think that it's um, it's just such a compelling visual, it's a compelling encounter where Jesus takes something so fundamentally known and accepted and believed and turns it on its head. And then you have Peter's response, which is to follow. And to me, that's really, why not isn't just an exercise to kind of help you examine the barriers in your life, but it's also a captivating invitation to see what the Holy Spirit could Hmm. put before you Mm -hmm. that takes you completely onto a new adventure or a new place. It's not just trying to decipher what's keeping you back. It's also saying yes to the possibility of something that's just wildly outside of your experience in a way that changes your life, changes other people's lives, sets you free, you know, the the kind of thing Jesus does for us. It reminds me of uh, Jesus' response to his disciples when he told them that it would be really super hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, and they said, well, who can be saved under these kind of, you know, stringent requirements? And Jesus said, well, what's impossible for you is possible for me. I'm really not bounded by what you think is impossible. And why not is one of, I love how you, you connected that to what it means to live by the Spirit, really is to live by the question, why not? Not because we have such great capacity in ourselves, but we recognize what's impossible for us is possible for him. So why not recognizes the impossible, just as it did for Peter. He knows it's not possible to walk on water, but he was recognizing in that moment that what's not possible for him is possible for Jesus— so why not led him to trust Jesus? Mm-hmm. And that's really the function of the question in the end. It's diagnostic because it surfaces what's stopping you, but where it takes you is trust. It takes you to a place of trust. So the, the leverage that we need to grow into sort of our born-again identity is really a question. The, the question, why not, is that lever? that helps us to grow into our born-again identity, just as it was for Peter. Now Peter, as he asks more and more, why not in his life, 
he grows into the identity that Jesus had already marked him for, that you will be the foundation of the church, Peter. You uneducated, professional fishermen, you're going to grow into that identity. And Peter did that by at every step of his life asking, why not? And he, then he pursued where it took him as he trusted Jesus. So in the book, there's a section toward the end of the book that's called Refuse to be Spectators in Your Own Life. It's a section of the book where I go into some, some pragmatic ways to live out why not in your everyday life. And there's uh, a few practical uh, little sections underneath this refusing to be a spectator in your own life. That that little section of the book starts with a, a story about a guy I met who has a rock climbing business in Morocco, and I asked him to tell me a story of somebody who he experienced in his rock climbing business displayed great grit, and he told me the story of this couple. Uh, this woman had always wanted to climb a cliff, and she brought along her husband. Her husband had no desire to do this, so when they got about halfway up, they were both equally screwing up and falling often and scraping themselves. The woman was determined to keep going, but the husband said, I'm out of this. I'm not doing this anymore. And what my, my friend who has this rock climbing business in Morocco observed was because she was determined to be a, a main player in her adventure, she kept going. But her husband was just a spectator. He was climbing the rock just because his wife this was something his wife wanted to do. He didn't have the strength inside to keep going. So that's what this section is all about, is don't be a spectator in your own adventure. Be fully involved. So let's go through some of these uh, pragmatic little offshoots of this and see how they connect to our own life and see if they might be of help to you in your life. So the first one is assume an active, not a passive stance. Assume an active, not a passive stance. And I, I guess I mean by that that uh, well, I've had plenty of examples in my life where, because my wife has some medical issues she's had to overcome, we've had to learn the hard way that when a doctor says, there's nothing I can do, or when a doctor says, I think it's this, but the this he says doesn't really solve the problem, in the past we had kind of a passive stance toward this in that because it was a doctor telling us, we kind of let it stop there. But we learned the hard way that we had to have a much more active role in our own story. Instead of simply taking that answer and saying, that must be it then, we asked, why not? And went beyond that. And we, got, uh, we would go see a, a specialist instead of just a general doctor, or we'd get a second opinion or a third opinion. We kept asking, why not? And that why not vaulted us out of passivity into activity and led us to the specialists she now has, which have changed her life. So I've seen a direct result of this taking an active stance in her own adventure that has led to huge life change for my wife. Is there anything that pops into your head from your story? Well, you know, we both talk with Becky on a regular basis, oh, yeah. the Beckinator, and when I read taking an active, it's not a passive stance in your life, I just automatically think of her if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know a little bit about her story. Um, you might even be following her journey on Instagram right now. But she had, uh, you know, a lot of circumstances happen to her that she had no control over. And those are prime opportunities to become very passive and to feel like I'm out of control. All these things are happening to me. And she did not respond that way. She has been from the very beginning very active 
Mm. She's been active toward um, finding truth. She's been active toward making decisions. She's been active every step of the process. And I think she's a great example of being active when passive would be maybe more natural. It's kind of a way of facing into life. Either you face into life with a kind of a default setting of passivity, or you face into life with a default setting of activity. And even when you said you're a what person more than a why person, mm. what you're really saying is, are we going to do something about this? Are we going to lean into it? Or are we going to stay here? I think what I hear in that story is not so much that you don't like it that your husband asks why, no. it's that you have a fundamental distaste for staying put when action is needed. And, and uh, staying put when movement is is the thing that has to happen, and so it's really a determination to move when passivity seems very tempting mm -hmm. for us, and it's tempting for all of us, by the way. The second thing is identify and face our fears instead of skirting them. So the, a little bit of that you can tell in my little story of getting country western dance lessons. I had to identify my fear and move into it instead of skirting around it. It would have been very easy, by the way, for me to make up any excuse I wanted to mm -hmm. and really push for my excuse and hide the real reason I didn't want to go. I could have said, it's too close to dinner time. I'm too tired. The kids don't want to go. Let's go out to eat instead. I mean, I had like 12 different excuses I could have used and pushed for and gotten my way. But the difference is, if you stop and ask yourself, why not, then you're confronting your fear instead of skirting it. Is there anything that pops into your head with this one? Well, oh, just I think about the cliche, I don't know if it's a cliche, but the um, advice to do something that scares you every day. Oh, yeah. Which confession sounds a little exhausting to me to do <laughs> something that scares me every single day. But again, it's a similar way to kind of examine what are things that I'm afraid of that are keeping me from growth. So I think... Well, maybe most... maybe you just do something that mildly surprises you every day. <laughs> most of us have, have a, a fairly good sense, I think, of the things that scare us. And it's good to not shove those underneath, you know, the shove them underneath the rug and kind of pretend they're not there. And, and the first step in this, obviously, is to admit that thing scares me. Mm -hmm. That you can't move into your fear unless you name the fear first. So you have to slow down long enough to understand the fear. This is why why not is such a great question to me, because it surfaces exactly what my fear is. And then you have to name that fear, and then you can choose to do what you're going to do in that. And we're saying lean into fears more than you shy away from them. Obviously, all of us get to places in our life where we're just like, you know, we started off this podcast saying we're a little tired today. It's a lot easier to not lean into your fears when you're tired, because <laughs> it it requires something of us. But in general, if if our life is about leaning into fears instead of away from them, this builds core strength in us, and we see this over and over again in Jesus. He was always inviting people into their fears instead of skirting around them over and over again. I just think about the woman who touched the hem of his garment when he was on his way somewhere else, and she got healed and just wanted to disappear into the crowd. And he stopped instead and said, who touched me? And who are you? And she had to proclaim her story, which for her was shameful in the crowd, instead of hide her story. So he invited her into the light, and she stepped into the light because of it. She, she faced the very fear that she most wanted to hide, 
and as a result became free of it. So Jesus wants us to be free of our fears, and so he'll often invite us right into them. (laughs) Dang you, Jesus. So third one is say yes to the challenges we know are beyond our capabilities, expertise, and courage. Anything that pops into your head from Well, there was a—in um, 2014, there was a paper that was published that was later cited in a popular book based on kind of an alleged study that women are less likely to apply for a job that they're not qualified for than men. Men are oh, wow. more likely huh. to put their name in the hat for something, even if they're not qualified. And um, I think that the origins of that study have come into question, but that— little little factoid has always kind of stuck with me. And it made me consider what are things that I disqualify myself for because I feel like I don't have the right qualifications. Or Rick, you've talked before about the imposter syndrome, that feeling of how, gosh, I can't, I can't really give advice to someone on this area because I don't have that mastered. Or I can't step up to this challenge because I'm not equipped enough to do that. And I think that this is an interesting exercise to make a list of things that you are not qualified for and then ask yourself the question, why not? What if I just went for it anyway? Yeah, that's good. I'm I'm thinking um, about—I was an author for almost 20 years before I wrote a book that was for a wider audience, a mainstream audience. Up until then, I had written books that were for a ministry audience, very much connected to uh, my leadership role here at Group. And for years, my wife had been prodding me to write a book that could be for anybody. And I always had the same answer. I, I, no, you don't understand what it is to write a book. I don't have the margin to write a book like that right now. But lurking deep underneath there, I had been a reader my whole life and had a deep appreciation for really great writing. And deep underneath that request, what it surfaced in me was I didn't believe that I could write a book that was as excellent as I wanted it to be or the standard that I had for what I thought a really good book was, I didn't believe that I had that capability inside of me. And so I didn't want that to be exposed by trying to do this. But eventually, Jesus was prodding me also. And so I finally I got an agent, and I came up with a proposal, and I gave my agent the proposal, and the first proposal didn't go anywhere. So he said, give me a couple more, and I gave him a couple more. And uh, eventually, a publisher decided that they, they liked two of my proposals and wanted to publish both of them. And the first one was a book called Sifted. What this surfaced in me was now, because I I was by my own admittance beyond my capabilities, it forced me into this very intimate, dependent, incredibly enjoyable season of my life with Jesus. I was scared. At the same time, I was full of delight in what was happening in my relationship with Jesus. And out of that came this book, Sifted, that published about eight years ago, and then it went out of print, and just recently I found out that another publisher has acquired the book, I got the rights back, and we sent it out again. Another publisher took this book, an edited version, and they're going to republish it next year under the title Set Free. So I've re-edited it, I've updated it, I've changed some stuff in it, but when I was going through that book to update it and edit it, I remembered this season in my life that was so profoundly beautiful and full. I will never forget some of the sweet um, intimacy I experienced with Jesus during this time, and it was expressly because I was beyond my capabilities, and I had to trust him at a level that was sort of desperate level. 
And that's what that creates. When you do something beyond your capabilities, it f- leverages your trust. So, And I think that um, that is an example of the kind of actionable uh, steps or questions that you can ask yourself from this chapter of Spiritual Grit. And there's probably another four or five different things that you can do. But before we sign off, I want Rick to talk a little bit about Spiritual Grit. We're almost reaching our one-month anniversary of being published. And there's a couple of things still that you can do to help join us, um, share the word about Spiritual Grit. And maybe if you haven't had a chance yet to get the book, it's available anywhere. Christian books are sold online, um, in bookstores. And I think that this is a great chance to um, look into chapters like this a little bit more deeply, uh, take some of those practical questions and prompts and exercises, grab your journal, spend some time in your quiet time, start reading through, and ask the Holy Spirit to show you some areas where you can, for instance, ask why not in some of these ways where maybe you're passive when you could be active. Maybe you're holding back from your fear. Maybe you're saying no to a challenge because you're not qualified when the Holy Spirit is asking you to say yes instead. Yeah, totally. And these things that we're talking about here, I just looked at the page that they're on. It's page 143. So if you get the book, just go to page 143, (laughs) and you can look through these Mm -hmm. things. I'll just list the final ones that are in that section. The next one is take responsibility for your outcomes. The next one after that is determine to be present wherever you are, which is a profound thing. Are you present in the moment, or are you somewhere else? Instead of repeatedly dipping your toe in the water, plunge into the pool. So instead of testing things out, dive in, go all in. And the last one that's in that section is value growth over the status quo. So if you want to explore these further and see what this might look like in your life, it's page 143. <laughs> so, and we do, if if you do pick up a copy of the book, we'd really love it if you would, once you've read it, if you would, as quickly as possible, post a, a review on Amazon, because as we've mentioned, the more that happens, the more Amazon kind of perks up its ears and pays attention to that book and and prefers it. It 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 highlights it. So it's a great way of, of spreading the news about the book. We thought, just as a little prompt for you to write your own review, one of the fantastic things that happened in the lead-up to the book was that I sent out the book to uh, about 20, 25 people that I really respect and asked them to read the book and give a review. And a lot of these people, it's a, boy, it's a long shot. It's a half-court shot to see if you can snag their attention to see if they would write a review. And Somebody that I I had only met briefly and really honestly didn't expect him to follow through and do this, but I wanted to send it to him anyway, was Richard Stearns, who's the president of World Vision USA. And he read the book and wrote an endorsement for it. So I thought I'd just read you his his endorsement as a, uh, a spur for you to write your own. Here's what he said. God calls us to a risky and sacrificial faith. And yet, even Christians give in to fear-mongering and the pitfall of playing it safe. Where in the Bible does it say, don't take risks for your faith? Which of Jesus' disciples avoided danger in witnessing to the risen Christ? Spiritual grit's an excellent exploration of the metal necessary for following Jesus, who literally loved us to death and who invites us on an often reckless adventure to change the world for him. I love the language he uses in this inviting us onto a reckless adventure is really what Jesus is doing, because everyday life is a reckless adventure. 
if you live it with a with your heart wholly offered up to Jesus. So head on over to Amazon, get a copy of the book, post your review. Pretty simple. And by the way, we've got links on our podcast page for all of this stuff, so you can head on over to PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com and just find our podcast section, and you're looking for Season 3, Episode 20, and you'll find links. Again, this is the Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus podcast. You can subscribe to us to make sure you don't miss any episode. Just subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you again next week. Bye.